0: Welcome to Behind the Rind, the story and science of cheese. I'm your host, Claire. And today, we're going to talk about why the milk of different animals produces such different flavors in cheese. In episode two, we went to the microbial zoo. Today, we're going to go to the actual zoo. Unless you grew up on a farm, your experience with milk is probably limited to the dairy case at your local grocery store. You choose the only type of milk you have access to, cow's milk, and expect the same taste from pretty much every carton, right? But what if I told you that the consistency of flavor in the milk that you drink is artificial? If you got your milk the way most cheesemakers and humans have throughout history, straight from an animal on a traditional farm, that milk would look and taste radically different from the store-bought cow's milk in your fridge. And while industrial dairies strive to mass-produce consistent, reliable dairy products, artisan cheesemakers are taking advantage of the natural variability of milk to create an incredible variety of flavors and textures in cheese. Today, with the help of food scientist extraordinaire, Pat Palowski, we'll explore the building blocks of milk, fat, proteins, and sugars, and hear how artisanal cheesemakers like Rebecca King of Garden Variety Cheese work with these complex variables to create exceptional cheeses. We'll also answer those burning curiosities like, why do we never see any Swiss-style cheeses made with goat or sheep's milk? Why are there mixed milk cheeses? And, can you make brie from human breast milk? Let's start with the basics. What is milk? One thing we need to remember when we talk about cheese is that most of us are pretty disconnected from livestock and farm life. Over half the world's population live in cities, and most of us don't know much about the animals that help feed us. The lack of familiarity most of us have with dairy farming results in a lot of misconceptions.
1: You know, I get a lot of people surprised that animals have to give birth To have milk. Like, well,
0: do you lactate
1: spontaneously?
0: That's cheesemaker Rebecca King of Garden Variety Cheese in Monterey, California. And I'm sure glad we don't. That would be really inconvenient. So, obviously, milk is an amazing substance that mammals produce beginning directly after they give birth to their young as a superfood to help their babies grow to their adult size. And mammal mothers only produce milk as long as their baby needs. For example, baby elephants often nurse from their mothers for two to three years, while kittens usually nurse for a mere six weeks. For a liquid, milk is an exceptionally good source of easily digestible carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. But as the baby grows, that mix of those nutrients changes to meet the new demands of the young. For example, the milk a mammal produces right after giving birth is called colostrum, It's super high in antibodies that help jumpstart the newborn's immune system. Colostrum is more similar to blood in its chemical composition than regular milk, and so in the U.S., it's never used to make cheese. Milk is also a good source of vitamins and minerals, often called ash. For cheesemakers, the most important of these are calcium and phosphate, as they function as the glue of sorts that holds these cheese proteins together. Milk from cows, goats, sheep, buffalo, and humans is about 80 to 90% water and 10 to 20% solids. In cheesemaking, those solids are all that we really care about. The oft quoted Clifton Fadiman put it so poetically
2: Cheese is milk's leap toward immortality.
0: And the only way to immortalize milk is to get rid of all that water and concentrate the solids. If you ever wonder to yourself, dang, why is cheese so expensive? Remember that it takes roughly 10 pounds of fluid milk to make one pound of solid cheese. Milk solids are mostly lactose or milk sugar, fat, and protein. So how do these solids exist in liquid milk? Food scientist extraordinaire Pat Palowski helps us out.
2: I really love milk as an example because it has three main mixture types and one and one package. There's the emulsion, which has to do with different density of things. You have fat, the butter fat, in a watery base. We call that an oil and water emulsion. That's what milk is. There's also a suspension, which are like large agglomerations of pieces floating around in liquid. And that's sort of what the protein and the casein is doing, just floating around the milk, left to its own devices. There's also a third type of mixture that milk can be considered, and that's called a solution. And that's when you have individual molecules of things floating around freely in liquid. And lactose is a good example of that. You have individual sugar molecules floating around. Uh, So milk is pretty cool when you hit emulsions, suspensions, and solutions all in one.
0: The fat in milk is an emulsion, and like an oil spill, it often separates and floats to the top. The protein in milk are in suspension, like fish floating around in the ocean, and the lactose in milk is like the salt in the ocean. It's completely dissolved in the water. The protein that we care about is called casein. Like fish, it floats through the milk in this tiny capsule of their own design. Casein proteins are the most important part of cheese. We'll come back to casein in a minute. And lastly, sugar. As Pat said, lactose in milk exists in solution. That means it's dissolved in the water portion of milk, much the same way salt is dissolved in the ocean. For people who are lactose intolerant, this is a really crucial fact.
2: Yeah, lactose is a cool molecule. It's what's known as a disaccharide, the dye referring to two. So it's made up of two pieces, and each one of those pieces is known as a monosaccharide. So lactose is when you take a glucose molecule and a galactose molecule, and they're linked together. And when we're younger, we produce an enzyme called lactase, which can split that lactose into its two substituent parts, and we can metabolize those. Usually, after weaning, we lose that enzyme. We no longer produce that enzyme. Evolutionarily, we we used to not drink milk after we were done nursing from our mother's. Uh, but now it's it's growing. It's, it's considered a mutation that some people produce lactase into adulthood. Uh, that's called lactase persistence. And a, a lot of evolutionary biologists would probably argue that it's one of the strongest examples of like selection pressure, they call it, where by being able to eat milk into adulthood, you have a much better competitive advantage over people who can't since it's such a nutritious source of food.
0: To summarize, if you can drink milk and not get a stomachache, Congratulations. You're a mutant. Wolverine and Cyclops are high-fiving you. Way to go. Nice one, Bob. And look for an invitation to Professor X's School for Gifted Youngsters in the Mail. You, my friend, have lactase persistence. But for those of you who are lactose intolerant, i.e. your body doesn't produce that enzyme lactase, fear not, muggles. We have good news for you. Remember how we mentioned that lactose exists in solution, that it's dissolved in the water portion of milk, and that the crucial step in turning milk into cheese is getting rid of the water and condensing those solids? Let's pretend we're making cheddar.
2: When we're making cheese, a lot of the lactose is left behind or converted directly. Like we'll say 5%, that's about right, 5% cow's milk is lactose. So you start making cheese with that by the end of the day, you're making cheese. It's, it's probably less than 1%. After a couple days to weeks, it's, it's hardly measurable. It's a fraction of a fraction of a percent.
0: As a rule of thumb, the less moisture in a cheese means less lactose. And usually in harder cheeses aged over six months, the levels of lactose are almost non-existent. So if you're lactose intolerant, maybe experiment with harder cheeses, like two-year-aged Goudas or real Parmigiano-Reggiano. There are, however, other things like milk protein allergies that can cause people to not feel good after eating cheese. Stay tuned for an upcoming episode on that. Now that we've covered the main components of milk, water, lactose, protein, and fat, let's talk about how milk varies between different animals. From a biological perspective, it makes sense that different animals would produce different milk. For polar bear cubs that need to put on a lot of fat quickly to survive in the Arctic, polar bear milk that contains 31% fat and 10% protein is essential. Compare that to human breast milk, which only contains about 4.4% fat and a mere 1.1% protein. But for our purposes today, we're going to talk about the biochemical makeup of milk from the main cheesemaking animals, cows, goats, sheep, and buffalo.
1: Dairy cows are you know, so much more significant to the economy than dairy sheep. I mean, there's so few of us. So they're like, what? sheep make milk. What are you talking about? So if we look
0: at the global production of milk, cow's milk represents about 85% of the milk produced around the world. Obvious, right? 11% of the world's milk is Buffalo milk followed by goat's milk at 2% and sheep's milk at a minuscule 1.4%. There are other obscure animals that humans use the milk of like yaks, horses, reindeer, and moose. But again, that's another episode. And I know what you're thinking, where is all this buffalo milk being enjoyed? If I can't find it at my local Whole Foods, I definitely don't think it exists. Well, Southeast Asia, actually, and mostly India, as they consume half of the world's buffalo milk, given that the cow is often considered by Hindus as a sacred animal. Rebecca is one of the few brave souls in the U.S. who makes cheese exclusively with sheep's milk from the hundred ewes on her farm. America's long tradition investment and research in dairy cows has produced one of the most prolific milking machines in history, the Holstein cow. A Holstein cow can produce upwards of 2,500 gallons of milk each year. That's over eight gallons of milk a day. In comparison with most American dairy sheep breeds that average only about 90 gallons of milk in an entire year, that's a mere half gallon of milk a day. However, the composition of sheep's milk is really different than cow's milk. Let's start with fat. When we compare the cheese-making milks, buffalo weighs in at the richest, fattiest milk.
2: Buffalo milk is about 10% fat, sheep's milk 7%, cow's milk 4%, and goat's milk 3%. Note that these are approximate summary statistics for highly variable biological products.
0: Thanks, Fact Man! This is why Italian buffalo milk mozzarella holds such prestige. With more than twice the fat content as cow's milk, it's incredibly rich with a delicate tanginess.
2: I think it's useful to talk about how fat's sort of arranged and situated in milk. It's in what's called a globule. So these little spheres of fat are floating around in milk. They're pretty small, uh, depending on the type of animal, the breed of the animal, the species of the animal, time of year, what they're eating. That can all affect... Not only the composition of the type of fat, but also the, the globule size. And if we actually look at what they're made out of, uh, sort of their core, what's inside these little spheres, is going to be mostly triglycerides, which is how fat is found. Just think of that's how you'd find butter. It's Butter's a triglyceride. If
0: you remember our microbial zoo episode, we talked about how flavor is produced in cheese thanks to bacteria, mold, and yeasts that break down fat and protein. Breaking down fat is a process called lipolysis. And as Pat says,
2: Fat breakdown is one of the hallmarks of cheese flavor creation.
0: Indeed it is, Pat. As cheese ages and lipolysis kicks into high gear, microbes in the cheese start clipping these triglycerides into smaller, free fatty acids, which only then become detectable to humans as distinct flavors. Goat hoof flavor in a goat's milk cheese? That's medium-length caproic fatty acid chain. Or... Your fatty and oily flavor in a cow's milk triple cream brie. That's long fatty acid chain stearic acid. This is also why the younger a cheese is, the more likely a tasting note is going to be. Um, it's buttery? Because many of those triglycerides haven't gotten broken down yet, and your cheese is basically still butter. But as Pat said, fat content in cheese also changes based on the breed of animal that it came from. For example, your classic Holstein cow, that black and white spotted milking machine, has about 3.5% fat in their milk. But compare that to the smaller Jersey cow, which boasts fat content upwards of 5%.
2: We're talking in percentage points of one or two here, but it's a multiplicative factor since you're concentrating those in cheese. So it's really important for cheesemakers. You get a lot more cheese out of the same amount of milk.
0: If you don't believe me that this makes a big difference, Bellwether Farms in Northern California makes a mind-blowing ricotta from fresh Jersey cow's milk. I dare you to try it next to your best store-bought Joe Schmo whole milk ricotta, probably made with Holstein cow's milk, and tell me it's not a life-changing experience. So we can see that the fat content of milk varies widely between different animals, but what about proteins? Proteins make up the majority of cheese. Author and all-around cheese expert Max McCollum states that in a showdown of a 100-gram hunk of hard cheese and a 100 grams of eggs, that's about two chicken eggs, the cheese has about twice the protein content of the eggs.
2: Protein is the structure and body of cheese. And when you look at milk, you find two main types of protein. You find casein, which is about 80%, and whey proteins, which are about 20%.
0: Remember Little Miss Muffet? sitting on her tuffet, eating her curds and whey. Those curds and whey are separate. Curds are the casein protein in milk, and whey is a water-soluble protein that exists in the liquid and gets drained off along with all the lactose when you're making cheese. So what we're left with is casein protein, and casein is single-handedly responsible for our current $100 billion global cheese industry. If casein didn't exist in milk, simply put, there would be no cheese.
2: There are four different types of casein proteins, alpha-S1, alpha-S2, beta, and kappa.
0: The alpha caseins, especially alpha-S1, are the top dogs. Alpha-S1 gets shh done. It's known as the structural casein and responsible for much of the texture in cheesemaking. It helps form a really strong curd. Most of the caseins are kind of afraid of water, they're hydrophobic, except parts of kappa casein. So like a caring parent, kappa casein, which doesn't so much mind water, wraps itself around the other three caseins in a protective ball called a micelle. Now, the varying amounts of alpha-S1 caseins have a huge effect on our ability to make cheese. Goat's milk, for example, is extremely low in alpha-S1 casein, making its structure very, very fragile. This is why the most common form of goat cheese, fresh chev, has such a flaky and crumbly texture.
1: There's almost
0: no alpha-S1 casein to hold it together.
1: After having been making sheep milk cheese for a while, I, I've made some goat milk, um, Cheeses from someone else's milk, and I'm always like, where's all the curd? What is wrong with this cheese? It's like so fragile and there's no curd. So disappointing to take goat cheese. Cutting it, it's so fragile
0: and delicate. On the other hand, sheep's milk is much higher in alpha-S1 casein, resulting in a very strong curd. In 2009, Dr. Bill Wendorf of the Wisconsin Center for Dairy Research experimented using goat and sheep's milk to make Swiss cheese, you know, with those classic holes or eyes in it. If you remember from our microbial zoo episode, it's that propionibacterium that produces carbon dioxide inside of those Swiss cheeses as they age, burping little holes throughout the cheese. But when Dr. Wendorf attempted to make a classic Swiss using goat's milk, he found that the goat's milk didn't have enough of that alpha S1 casein to hold the nice shape of those eyes, and the results were collapsed holes all throughout the cheese. And when he tried to make the same cheese with sheep's milk, he found that the opposite was true. Sheep's milk had too much alpha S1 and made the curd way too strong, and instead of forming nice round eyes, the inelastic curd refused to stretch, causing cracks and large splits. It's cow's milk that has the perfect balance of alpha S1 casein to make a Swiss-style cheese. Recently, there's been a flurry of DIY morbid curiosity asking, can you make cheese with human breast milk? And I know, I know, it grosses a lot of people out and makes the FDA's skin crawl. But the answer is no. You can't really make cheese with human breast milk. If you remember, the human milk only has about 1% protein. And of that, it has zero alpha-S1 casein. All the human cheese that's been made so far has been a mixture of human and cow's milk,
1: which brings us to our last point. Why do people make mixed milk cheeses? Sheep milk varies significantly over the course of lactation. Um, Each individual sheep gives milk six to nine months on average. um, And the first few months, uh, they give the highest volume. And then gradually over that time, they give less volume, but the um, milk gets more concentrated and the components change. So the last couple of months of the lactation, the milk is very high in fat and the ratio of fat to protein um, changes from earlier in lactation. And it's actually um, too much fat to protein for proper cheese making. And
0: in reality, all milk varies over the course of lactation along this same trend Rebecca talks about. The milk production of a mama animal rises to meet the demands of her growing young, and once they start eating grass and other things, it slows down. What
1: happens in a milk like sheep's
0: milk, which is already jam-packed with milk solids, is that
1: the late-stage lactation sheep milk, you need protein to make the structure to capture the fat and other components of the milk. So when you have higher fat than protein, you're losing fat in the way, and then you also, you know, are having other problems with the um, structure of the cheese, and um, it doesn't drain as well. So then you, you know, you can have rancidity problems or or other um, problems with the final cheese. Um, so I found if you add goat milk to the late season sheep milk, you can actually get a higher yield of the two milks combined than you would of each milk individually. This is a brilliant technique that has been used by artisan cheesemakers the world over to get the
0: most out of their highly variable milk. And it's contrasted with the way that many large industrial cheesemakers produce cheese.
2: You can tailor the milk to whatever you want. You can remove fat, add fat, remove protein, add protein, all in real time. You have the chemical test, the equipment to measure it as it's coming into your factory. You have the filters, the membrane systems, the separators to do it. Most small cheesemakers probably can't get that done reasonable because, you know, that's millions of dollars in investment and upkeep.
0: But what if you fancy yourself someone who loves summer because of peaches? A peach in January just doesn't taste the same as a peach in June. What if we started to think of cheese as a seasonal product that changed with the rhythms of the animal's bodies that produced it and the seasons of the year? What if we looked forward to late lactation cycle or fall for the slight increase of fat in our favorite cheeses, the same way we look forward to our favorite holiday?
1: We make like a fromage blanc style cheese, and at the end of lactation, it is just like butter. And so it's not a you know detraction because it's still um, you know coming out. It's just it's it naturally is higher moisture because it doesn't drain as well. And it's got that really rich, buttery fattiness to it. So it's not necessarily a problem. It's just different.
0: And here's to different. This is why, as cheesemongers, we're always asking our customers if they want to try a cheese. It's because we know each wheel is a little different, and we want you to experience and understand that variation. But if you're like, Claire, that's all well and good, but I'm not sure I can tell the difference between a sheep's milk cheese and a buffalo milk cheese then here are some suggestions of new cheeses to try. For a classic sheep's milk cheese flavor, try Marisa from Car Valley Creamery in Wisconsin. To get the wonderful buttery tanginess of buffalo's milk, try Cassatica di Bufala, almost a buffalo milk brie from Northern Italy. To get that really nice goaty flavor, I love Cavatina, which is a small ashed goat log from Andante Dairy in Petaluma. And to taste the difference of Jersey cow's milk, seriously, just go get some Bellwether Farm Jersey ricotta. It's going to change your life. I'd like to thank Rebecca King of Garden Variety Cheese and food scientist Pat Palowski for a complete list of resources for each episode and way more information that I could fit in this one episode or with any questions or comments, go to BehindTheRind.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast and you think we earned it, please subscribe and rate us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd really appreciate it. Tune in next month for more stories and science from Behind Their Eyes.